The Gospels are the accounts of the words and works of our Savior Jesus. It's there that we learn of the acts of love that mean for us forgiveness and everlasting life. Join us to study one of these Gospels, the book of Matthew. Read a chapter and then listen in as our pastors from Grace discuss the marvel of God's words to us. We hope that you listen to Jesus' words and that with us you grow. Here's another discussion on a chapter from the book of Matthew. Hey podcast listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. Pastor Hockman here with my friend Pastor Strong. How are you today? Today is a wonderful day. Yes, it is. Another day of God's grace and mercy. It's beautiful. His mercies are new every morning. I absolutely think it says that in the Bible somewhere. Yeah, that's... Oh, I thought I came up with that, but yeah, I, well, I'm stealing that from the scriptures. You might want to cite that quote. Okay. okay. <laughs> it is uh, a good one, though. I'll let you use it a lot. <laughs> what a great thing to have faith in Christ and to be able to make comments like that and to live life with that understanding. God's mercies are continual, and, and they're new for us every single day. And that's a good way to start a person's day, too. And I don't know if, if you as a listener are, are starting your day with us or if you're maybe even ending your day, but I think at any point throughout the day, it's a good reminder that God's mercies are new. And that's a, that's a good way to, to motivate us in Christian living each day. That's a cool thing. Also new is uh, Matthew chapter 16, because we haven't covered it yet. Hopefully yet. you've read it, uh, listeners at home. But um, Matthew 16 is where we're headed um, and it's interesting that this demand for a sign, the the people are asking Jesus, "Can you prove yourself? To, can you?" Um, there's always you always get the feeling like there's this contingent of followers that are just chasing after Jesus for the magic show, or just interested in what wonderful miracle is he gonna gonna perform next. Um, here, the Pharisees and Sadducees are asking for a sign. It even says they're testing him. Um, they have this hidden agenda, sometimes not so hidden. They always want to try to trap Jesus or, 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 or try to get him to expose himself as not being who he is. They try to trap him. They try to ask questions that they think don't have a good answer. And Jesus sees their, their evil intentions and, and uh, thwarts their efforts every time. Yeah. And so while they're asking for a sign, uh, Jesus says, you can, you can interpret signs of like weather and, and things like that. Um, but you're so blind to the signs that are kind of right in front of you, right, of, of what Jesus is doing and, and showing them. He says, I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. Um, how would you interpret or describe the sign of Jonah? I'm probably putting you on the spot. but No, you're fine. All right. It's actually interesting that he doesn't spell it out here because several chapters earlier in chapter 12, he does spell out the, the sign of Jonah. And uh, so he's he's kind of... Uh, pointing at them again and saying, you didn't listen to this the last time you asked for a sign and here's what I told you. And guess what? The answer is the same. I'm not changing. Um, but back in chapter 12, and I'm sure we discussed this in the chapter 12 podcast, but um, talks about how Jonah was in the belly of the whale for the belly of the fish for three days. And so Jesus would be in the belly of the earth in the tomb for, for those three days as well. You know, I've also heard uh, the explanation of that too, that just as Jonah preached about the kingdom of God coming near and, and judgment, um, if, if that isn't similar to what Jesus was also doing to uh, an adulterous and unbelieving nation and people 
right? And, and so that sign of Jonah, that preaching and proclaiming of God's kingdom um, might have been part of it too. But yeah, I think both of those probably play, come into play, definitely. I, I like the that picture of Jesus in the tomb three days as Jonah was in the, the belly of the whale. I think that's much more applicable and, and refers to the sign Jesus is talking about here mostly. Then he goes on to the, uh, warn his disciples about the yeast of false teachings. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle as I read there. They're sort of internal. Is he talking about this because we forgot lunch? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he doesn't understand. They, they still haven't yet figured out um, the teacher. They haven't quite figured out how Jesus operates. Well, it's also interesting to me, too, that, you know, they don't have bread again. <laughs> you know, it's like, how many times? When are they going to learn, hey, we got to pack a lunch. <laughs> We're going out to the hills, grab some bread from the market or something. But here they're like, oh. We forgot the bread again. Jesus is going to have to feed this large crowd again, (laughs) or whatever it is. It's just kind of interesting about that. No, obviously, that's not what Jesus is referring to. They should have gotten on some sort of rotation or something, right? (laughs) Right. Whose week is it for the bread? Once every, one day every two weeks, they'd have to bring lunch. But no, they can't get their act together or figure that out. You know, but Jesus obviously is not worried about what they're going to eat that day, and even worried about them not bringing bread. But this, the yeast of the Sadducees is just—I think it's a, an apt illustration for just how dangerous false teaching is. And just like yeast in in a, a batch of dough, it just once it's mixed in, you can't break it out, and then it does its thing, and it makes dough rise and get bigger and larger, right, and expands. Yeah, it permeates and it, everything. Absolutely, and false teachings can be like that. Where once they work their way in and they're mixed in or they're in the mix even, um, it just you can't get it out and it just expands and grows and permeates everybody's hearts and lives and can draw people away from from the reality and the truth that is in in Christ. So, um, yeah, to, his point is to watch out for the false teachings that are out there, especially those of the the religious leaders of his time. It's in this section that we have the answer to the question that you posed yesterday which I know you were just being devil's advocate and not actually asking if the feeding of the 4,000 was just a retelling. But <laughs> right. here, here is where he lists both of them. Yep. Do you not remember the five loaves and for the 5,000 or the seven loaves for the 4,000? Um, so anyone who wants to recreate that and, and say that this is just a retelling of the one story, they've also got to edit out what Jesus says here, where he lists them as separate incidents. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's beautiful because oftentimes when, when you think you've come across a contradiction uh, in scripture, if you just look at the fullness of scripture, you, you realize, no, it wasn't. You know, most contradictions that, that seem like that at, at a point are, are either just retellings or a different view of, of the same topic, or here it's it's just, it's attested to in a, in a different way too. So, man, if you want to just pick and pull a, con- a piece of, uh, or a passage out of context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. But when we use it as God desires it as one full unit, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yep. Rule number one about interpreting Scripture is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Absolutely. Right? Don't try to provide its own meaning or pull things out of context, but keep them in the context where they are. This next section is one of my favorite accounts, I think, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Jesus is with his disciples, and um, he asks them a really important question. He asks, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he wants to kind of get a gauge on on what are the crowds, um, how are they referring to him, and how do they see him, and, and kind of, he's testing the disciples. 
And uh, they respond that, well, something John the Baptist or Elijah or another prophet. Um, so then Jesus turns it on them. Well, how about you guys? Right. You're ask the ones. The, ask the question that really matters. Right. right. Who do you say that? Right. You are the ones who've been with me. You've seen everything. You've heard everything. Who do you say I am? And um, and Peter has probably one of the, or I, I, not even probably has the the greatest answer, uh, and the most right answer. Where he says, "You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God." And, and what a beautiful testament to who Jesus really is. You are the promised Savior of the world, and that's awesome. Yeah. And Jesus responds. Uh, in kind, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Um, he plays on the what Peter's name means. Petrus uh, means rock. Um, but it's interesting to note that on this rock, that's actually a related but different word, Petra, which is like a bedrock, it means foundation. So you're, you, Peter, are rock man, you're rocky, but on this bedrock of the confession of faith that you've just made, that's what I'm going to build my church on. Um, on, on the confession that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, that Jesus is the, the one that was sent from heaven, that's going to be the foundation of the church, and there's not anything in the world or even hell itself that can overcome that. Yeah. Um, in Christendom, the Catholic Church has kind of taken that as the basis for their um, apostolic succession and things. And, and basically, they would say that Peter is the, the foundation of the church, not right. his faith, but but Peter himself. And so he's the first, what they would call pope, I guess, yep. right? And, and, and everyone who's followed after him has succeeded in line uh, to build up. The, the Catholic Church. Uh, no, they're missing the point. It's it's the foundation of faith, the, that confession of who Jesus is. That's what the church is built upon. And and it's interesting, too, Jesus follows right after that with, with saying that, that Peter's faith is what the church will be built on, that I'm going to give you the keys to this church, and the keys of that church are being able to forgive um, and to uh, to the forgive the repentant sinner, but also to to lock out the unrepentant until they have come to acknowledge their sin. Um, and that's a beautiful comfort and privilege that we have as Christians to announce forgiveness to people, but also at the same time to, to share the hard truth that in your unrepentance, in as you're living in your sin, you are keeping yourself, locking yourself out of God's kingdom and out of his church too. Have you ever encountered um, a person who who makes a statement that only Jesus can forgive sins or might take offense or or at least question um like what happens in our worship service when when the pastor announces forgiveness yeah i've definitely heard that before yeah yeah and but the reality is is here jesus is giving that privilege to us to announce now i personally do not have the power to make you forgiven but i have the the right as jesus gives here to announce to you that you are forgiven why for the sake of jesus who paid the price for all of our sins and who says that we are forgiven. And so um, it's part of, especially like in, in our worship services where we, we say as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all of your sins. All right. So because we are called and, and to acknowledge and share the gospel with God's people in, in a church and congregation and by the authority of Christ, which he's given here, we can say to, to a congregation as pastors, or we can say to one another as, as fellow Christians, you are forgiven. And it's just as good as if Jesus was standing right there saying it. 
because we're, we're proclaiming the truth of what Christ has done. So Peter makes this beautiful, bold, and absolutely spot-on confession about Jesus. You're the Messiah. And then there's this really interesting instruction that Jesus gives. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's the deal? I thought that was their one job. <laughs> oh. Jesus will, will, has said this a few times after he does a miracle. He says, now don't tell anyone that this happened. Yep. Um, and you can kind of surmise what's going on with that, that Jesus doesn't want people to chase after um, chase after him be, just for the sake of the miracles. Um, this one is a little bit more puzzling to me. Yeah, but I think I think I understand it a little bit, and it's in, it's in this respect that if the disciples were just go, to go out and start telling everybody Jesus is the Messiah, at that time especially, the, the general consensus about who the Messiah was going to be was this political leader, right? That's what the Jewish people were really looking for and, and expecting because they were misled that this Messiah was going to be this this leader who is going to usurp Roman the Roman Empire and reestablish Israel as this powerful nation. And so if, if the disciples start going out and telling people Jesus is the Messiah, everyone's going to come to Jesus for the wrong reason. And they already kind of are. Explain him to be a, like a bread king or just a healer or whatever else. So I think Jesus is not telling them, don't ever, but just wait. Because after his death and resurrection, now that's the great proof that Jesus is the Messiah. And now go out. And that's when he really did tell him, now go out and tell the world who I am and what I've done. So I think he's just kind of saying, wait, because I don't want people chasing after me for the wrong reason. Right. Let me fulfill what I've come to do as Savior and then proclaim that good news. Right. So the same intention then with when he says this after some of the miracles. Right. That he knows how that message will be received and he knows that it won't advance the cause of the kingdom or the gospel. Um, so we have not been given such an instruction to not tell anyone that Jesus is the nope. Messiah. <laughs> We've after, been given the opposite instruction. After the resurrection, it's all about now, now go and tell, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. Absolutely. And then Peter has a little bit of a turnaround. He goes from this high point in his in his uh, dis- disciple apostolic career of being the one on whom Jesus says, on your confession, I'm going to build my church, um, to uh, a pretty dramatic fall. Um, we don't know if this is the same day or the next day. We don't have any of those temporal words in there that, that tell us, but at least Matthew puts these side by side. Um, so that makes me believe that these happen in somewhat close proximity. Jesus takes uh, Peter aside, or the um, Jesus takes the disciples and and tells them, explains to them what's going to happen. I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. Um, I'll be killed, and then on the third day, be raised to life. And, and here, classic Peter, classic disciples. They don't listen till the end. They get all up in arms about Jesus telling them that he's willingly going to walk towards suffering and death, and they stop listening. They don't hear him say, and three days later I'll rise from the dead. Um, and so they get up, upset, and Peter tries to prevent um, Jesus from doing that, says, never, never, Lord, don't, don't follow that path. Um, I'll defend you. And Jesus has pretty pointed words for, for Peter and his idea. Yeah, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) That, you know, that hurt. That would hurt a lot, you know, to have Jesus say, get behind me, Satan. 
but I mean, that's really, you know, what Peter is doing. It, you know, I, this is the first time too that Jesus is telling, really telling his disciples that he's really going to suffer and he's going to die. And, and so I think that's probably part of the reason why it was so shocking to them. Uh, because I think even the disciples kind of had the wrong or, or just mixed ideas about who the Messiah was going to be too. Right? And for for the reality of him, the suffer and die was not something that probably crossed their mind. And now Jesus is saying this, and so that's why Peter you know, reaches out like he does and says, no, it can't be. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. It, it's really interesting because that word Messiah, that means Old Testament uh, anointed one. It's yeah. the Old Testament fulfillment. And they would have known their Old Testaments. They would have known Isaiah 53. They would have known um, the other places where God had predicted that the one that he sends is going to suffer and die and then rise again. Um, so I think you hit the nail on the head. They they understood that Jesus was the special person, but they still hadn't yet fully, maybe in their heads but not their hearts, had connected Jesus is the one that God foretold. Jesus is the one that Isaiah 53 was talking about. Jesus is the one who has to suffer for the sins of the world, who has to put himself in our place um, so that we could be with him forever. So that that hasn't yet clicked. Right. Um, and, and you're right, I like the way that you said that. And that's what causes this. No way. You're our buddy. You're our friend. You're the one that uh, we enjoy getting to spend time with. None of this suffering and death talk. But Jesus says no. <laughs> that That's more than just, oh, that's really cute and kind of you, but it really has to be this way. It's like, no, if, we, if I followed your way instead of God's way, uh, then you all are damned. Then Satan wins. That makes you, you're being an agent of Satan as you ask. Um, as you ask me to avoid this path. Jesus continues with a, another, I think, hard truth. As he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And and so Jesus is saying, you know, you're as as a follower of me, life's not going to be easy. It's not going to be glorious. It's not going to be grand. You're gonna be you're gonna have challenges because of your faith and trust in me. Um, so I want you to to follow me, though. That's as part of the reality is is those challenges, the cross. We would say, are, and those are those challenges, those burdens that come because of a person's faith in Jesus, um, that come from the attacks of an unbelieving, sinful world, and um, he. And so, really, Jesus is saying, you got to put aside the things of this world and start chasing after the things of God, um, and uh, because that's what faith does. It, it's it's you know, as as children of God, we are made holy, which means we are being pulled out and separated from the sinful world. And, and brought into God's kingdom. But it means that there's going to be challenges along the way. And we have to forsake some of the things of this world. Um, but it's all worth it for the glory of, of Christ that we get to experience in some respects now, but we'll, we'll experience eternally with God in heaven. Yeah, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And while we're talking about suffering, while we're talking about a cross, um, you're going to have a cross to bear too. It's not always going to be easy. To, to be a disciple of mine, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for sure. In fact, it'd be foolish to forfeit your soul for even everything that the world could offer. Um, but whoever loses their life, he says, um, for me and for the gospel, uh, will find it. It seems so backwards, but I mean, that's kind of the reality of this world. This world got turned upside down when sin entered it. 
And now Jesus is trying to turn it upside down back to the right way. And and that means that we have to, you know, so often we can get wrapped up in the things of this world and chase after the things of this world and think that the things of this world are what's really important. And Jesus is flipping that whole script around and saying, no, what's really important is life with me. Um, trusting that I'm the Lord and Savior, setting aside yourself and your sinful desires and and loving God and loving others. You know, that's the hardest thing for us to do, but through faith in Christ. God empowers us yeah, and changes us. He says, what are you going to cling to? If you're going to cling to physical things, um, you can do that, but it's going to cost you your life. But if you deny yourself uh, and uh, cling to the spiritual things and cling to me, then you'll find what's really life. Then you'll find uh, hope and joy and everlasting life with me in, in heaven. That's what it's all about, huh? For sure. Yeah. I think we could probably say that this Good. is most, most certainly, certainly true. true. Thanks for joining us in our effort to read and grow through the Gospel of Matthew. We'd love to share more Jesus with you. Learn more about Grace at our website, www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, Bible study resources, links to our digital media resources, our pastor's contact info, and a lot more about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.